This is KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. I am delighted to welcome today to the Arabology Show a man who uh, wears many faces, and that's taken uh, literally here, none other than Majd Murad, who is gracing the KZSU studios today to speak about his work, his life journey, and uh, the uh, couple of projects he's been involved in that are very, very worth your attention. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to say a quick hello in Arabic to start to Majd Murad Majd marhaba wa ahlan wa sahlan fi barnamaj arabology marhaba kifak Majd Mlih, although we would say Zan. <laughs> so not only is he responding in Arabic, ladies and gentlemen, but he is pointing to the fact that his dialect of Arabic is actually Iraqi. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did that come about? How did you pick up Iraqi colloquial Arabic? Well, I am 100% Iraqi. <laughs> I was born in Baghdad. Um, and my, my mom is from Mosul and my, my dad's from Baghdad. We grew up, I grew up in Baghdad, well, until I was four. Uh, which is why I don't have my accent anymore. Yeah, yeah. B- but but yet you seem to understand uh, Arabic a lot more than maybe speak it. Well, as I learned in psychology back in high school, the part of the brain that uh, where you speak versus understand are two different, very different parts. And uh, so I I understand a lot better because I hear my parents, I hear their friends, and um, but me I. I don't speak enough. Yeah. Well, you'll be relieved to know, Maj, that this uh, interview will be conducted in English. Sure. <laughs> but do feel free to use Arabic expressions if you so desire. Maj, um, I'd like to really start with um, uh, the uh, play, the comedy, the one-man comedy show, Blood Fruit, mm-hmm. which is really how I initially heard about you people saw the show. Um, I don't exaggerate when I say that not a single person gave me like a negative review of the show. People People left, uh, they were extremely emotional. Um, uh, even if they didn't care for the subject matter, they were still challenged. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. Can you tell us a little bit about how the show came about? Well, um, my friend Brenda Varda actually has a, well, had a writing studio, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's not operational anymore. But um, she was sending out emails of, you know, here's a poetry workshop. Here's a whatever workshop. And one of them was autobiographical solo performance writing and it couldn't have been more perfect for me at the time I was um, struggling with a lot of health issues and I wasn't very connected to the theater anymore I felt like I was just struggling to make ends meet and this was the one way that I was able to kind of keep my anchor in the theater world and not jump into say just a regular nine to five or becoming a server or going back to school for something else you know to to really stick to the theater and I, right from the get-go, this workshop uh, with Eric Trules, who teaches out of USC, um, he was he was really the main developer of the piece, and and everything that I did is in his style. Um, uh, he, along with the workshop, helped um, put together the show. I mean, I wrote it, obviously, but they they gave the feedback of this works, this doesn't, and they were welcoming and open enough with their own stories that I felt comfortable within the first maybe two sessions. Uh, I remember going around the room. Uh, he had us go around the room again. He wasn't sure if we all remembered each other's names. So he said, uh, go, go around, say your name, and say something about yourself that no one else in the room knows. And at the time, I knew that I wanted my show to be a coming out story. I wanted it to be about how I came out to my parents, but 
there was a little bit extra that I wasn't sure about including. And so we went around the room and people had their little easy answers like, and I'm allergic to peanuts. No one knew that in the room. Ha ha ha. And it got, it got to me and I said, you know, my name is Mejd Murad. I'm from Redlands. And something no one else in the room knows about me is that I'm HIV positive. Wow. And the room just like changed. Everything in the room changed. Mm. The person, and I won't share what the person shared, but the person after me shared something very, very delicate right after me. And she said she, excuse me, that she would not have done that had I not said something, yeah. you know. Because it seems to me much that, um, I mean, that um, admission, that uh, cathartic experience perhaps uh, was unveiling many layers. I mean, you're saying I'm much murad. Right there, we're hearing an Arabic name, mm -hmm. and maybe I'm gay, and maybe then I'm also HIV positive. Yeah. All within the scope of that one sentence within that one moment. How what, did it feel cathartic? I mean, for at that time, yes, definitely. I, I felt like, I mean, I felt, you know, that thing when you're about to get called on, and you get that little, like, your heart starts pumping, and you're like, oh, gosh, oh, gosh, oh, gosh. I definitely felt that. Yeah. And as soon as I said it, I was like, okay, good. Because yeah. now I can make the show about that. Yeah. And, and the fact that that happened with the woman right after was completely what I, what I wanted. I mean, if, if I'm going to go out there and say that I'm this and this and that, it better be helping somebody else because it's not doing me any favors to go out and being like, hey, everybody, you know, I've got this disease and I'm gay and, all, and I'm Iraqi and all this stuff. It doesn't help me. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, do you feel maybe that's kind of an instrumental moment in your life because that was pre, uh, before the release of the actual play, right? You were still, there was still a work in progress at that point and in your mind. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was sort of an initial step towards what you did much more publicly later. Yeah. Which is through display, address the very issues that we've been discussing here. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, how much of how much of it do you discuss in the in the work, in the comedy, in the play? All of it. All of it. All of it. I throw in my experiences as a gay man. I throw in how I acquired HIV. I throw in my parents' reactions. Because really, so I, I don't advertise it with the HIV thing. I kind of leave that as a surprise usually in the show, although here we are outing that part of the play. Um, but uh, but so, you know, people come to it thinking, oh, it's about him coming out as gay to his, but it's a, it's coming out is more than one way. Right. You know, so I feel like I came out twice once with the gay uh, with the information that I'm gay and then once with the information that I have HIV and then the next one became by the way mom and dad I have a one man show where I tell the entire world about oh. about this <laughs> wow wow so so much can I ask how old you are I am 27 yeah all of this at 27 mm -hmm. so you were what four when you left Baghdad and yes. Iraq you were born and raised there mm -hmm. and, and came to California right away no we went to Jordan first uh, we kind of had to flee my dad was um, was a government employee so he we had to kind of Mm -hmm. mask that we were we were leaving we left under the premise that we were going to be gone for two weeks for a wedding so we packed as such and they only discussed it in english which you know none of us you know the kids we didn't spoke i have three other older siblings 
Um, and you only spoke Arabic. We only spoke Arabic. My my oldest two siblings had been exposed to it a little bit, but not a lot, as much as they would learn in school. Not enough to keep up with a full conversation that they were having. And they were planning to move, and we didn't know. And then we got to Jordan. It was like a, I don't remember, it was out, a, a very long drive. Um, maybe 18 hours, I think, mm-hmm. something like that. And, and what year was this, Maj? This was 1991, August of 91. Yeah. Um, and then we got there, and they we got to this apartment um, that they had set up through a through a very generous friend of ours. He set it all up for us. Um in Amman, yeah. And, he, and uh, my parents said, welcome home. Wow. We're like, excuse me, what? <laughs> and, that, and that was uh, just a temporary home on your way to the United States? It might, it might have been permanent. My dad tried to find work in Jordan, but, you know, essentially we were illegals. You know, I don't know how, how it would have worked him getting work, but I, I think at the time there were a lot of Iraqis fleeing to Jordan and other countries. So the work wasn't really like, oh, yeah, of course, you're Iraqi, you're our neighbor. Let's, let's go. Here's a job. Mm. And so how old were you when you came to the States? After I was I was two months away from turning six. Six. So okay. I was 1993. And since then, of course, you have been, what, a California kid? Yeah. Do you hear it in my accent? <laughs> I do hear yeah, it in your, in your accent, although although at the same time, I still detect uh, a little bit of an Arabic accent. Oh, no. Don't you, you say that. Arabic. Don't you say that. <laughs> so, so you went to, of course, uh, you know, you studied here in California and you graduated from UC Riverside. I yes. Hear. What was your major? I majored in, well, originally I was a neuroscience major. Wow. Yeah. I got accepted there with a full scholarship for my academics, and they said, you can major in whatever you want. Nice. And uh, I actually, this is a funny story. So I was uh, sitting in my in my chemistry class. I think it was my first quarter there. And I started daydreaming about um, the chemistry teacher rising up on this pedestal with three others, and they start singing... <laughs> chemistry jargon in a Gregorian chant oh my God. and the students below being being tired and sleepy and then two people on giant laptops tap dancing to make the clicking sounds. No one take that idea. Copyright Mesh Murad. And, and I said, and I, I snapped out of that daydream and I thought, oh God, I'm in the wrong field. Yeah. So yeah. I, I jumped back into the theater scene and I was I've stayed there yeah, since. Because that's a huge leap, uh, Mazda, yeah. you know. And uh, boy, are we glad you did, <laughs> looking back, because, you know, of the many, many issues that you have discussed in your work, mm-hmm. in your interviews, um, speaking to people very candidly about these very courageous and difficult issues. Um, so you said that you've, you've sort of tackled them in the play, uh, which, uh, star- which premiered where and when? Uh, so it was within that first year of, of writing it that um, I was told about the Hollywood Fringe Festival, and it was going to be 2011 summer, like around June. And I, um, I decided to use it as a goal to say, okay, I'm going to finish writing the show by then. I'll find a director. I'll put it up and see what happens. And I did. Yeah, and, and the title, Blood Fruit... That came out, so it was hard because of feeling like I was rushing to finish it by, by like April or so. I was trying to finalize it so I could rehearse. And I, I met up with my friend, Eddie Gutierrez, who actually recently passed away. Um, and he was a huge impact on, on a lot of the content of the show. He gave me the courage to first come out to my parents back in, uh, 2009. And, um, and I've known him since, uh, since 2008, and he's just, he was, you know, big impact. So I, I met with him and 
um, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, have, I'm having trouble naming the show because I have to submit it for the Hollywood Fringe Festival, like what it's going to, mm-hmm. what the title is. Right. And so we brainstormed, we had this whiteboard and we like talked about the different themes and Blood Fruit came up because of a, sim- a symbolic thing that happened when I told my parents at the time they had this, they have currently this beautiful backyard filled with every kind of citrus you can think of. I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's epic. And it, my dad planted the whole thing. Here, here in California. Yeah, in Redlands. Yeah. Um, except for one tree. I planted a blood orange tree. Oh, wow. Because I really love blood oranges and he wasn't going to have one. But he planted this little dwarf tree and it was, it was great. It produced a lot of fruit. It was awesome. And then about a year before I came out to them, it started to get some diseases on the leaves and my dad overpruned it and... It, it died like a few months before I came out to them. And when I came out to them, my dad used the tree as a symbol. He said, you know, the tree died because you are a gay. Oh, my gosh. It wow. is a sign from God that you have a disease. And if you do not fix this disease, you will be damned and go to hell. Wow. So, and that came up in, in figuring out the title, and there was a lot of information in there. Blood, dealing with the HIV stuff. Fruit being, you know, obviously the gay thing, because oh, you, you, you got to go there. Um, mm. And it, it, it ended up meaning, meaning a lot to have that title. Was it harder coming out as gay or as HIV positive, let's say, in terms of the uh, Iraqi uh, community or the Iraqi American community or perhaps the community at large, you know? That's a hard question. I hadn't even considered it. I, I would say they're different. You know, I, I honestly don't feel that I'm completely out to the to the Arab world. Yeah. I mean, until now, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, but uh, but I mean, because you did them so simultaneously. I mean, mm-hmm. right? You didn't start out with what you sort of. Uh, decided if I'm going to be candid and uh, attempt to help others here through my work, mm-hmm. I'm going to just, you know, talk about both aspects of being sort of, you know, a, a marginalized minority within a marginalized minority. Mm-hmm. And Well, it was also important in the show because in real life, the way it went down was after I came out to my parents, it was six months later that I, that I contracted HIV. And oh wow! So at the time you were, you know, conceiving the play, no, you weren't, you weren't necessarily HIV positive. I was, I was. Oh, the, the timeline is December of two thousand eight. I came out to them. May of two thousand nine, as I was about to graduate UC Riverside, was when I became infected with HIV. And then I came. I um, uh, I had a lot of uh, co- um complications medically that happened that resulted in surgeries and whatnot that re- that kept me from completing a theater program I was enrolled in for the fall of 2009, dropped out, had to move back home, flopped back and forth to LA. And in the meantime, my brother found out through my sister, actually, that I that I had HIV. I told her before I left for this school in, 2000, in fall of 2009. Um, and he kind of manipulated the situation mm-hmm. to tell my parents, hey, you should try to communicate with, with Marina and Mejd more because there might be something they're not telling you. No. Uh, and so they kept, pre- you know, I mean, Arabic mother, she thinks something's wrong and she sees all these medical things happening, but she doesn't know that it's HIV. She doesn't know what the surgeries are really for. I told her it was one thing. I won't go into those details, but... Yeah. Um, 
And then finally I, I told her and at the time they were barely talking to me. Um, and my mom would just break down in hysterics. I mean, she was going through a lot and so was my dad. My dad barely would look at me. He, he wouldn't speak to me unless he absolutely had to. Because they were already dealing with the... With the gay, with the information that, that was that gay. Now here comes this other information that's difficult to, to digest. And when I did tell them, things turned around. Suddenly, their fear, and at the time, you know, they didn't know a lot about it, but it was their biggest fear mm. of me being gay. It wasn't me going to hell. Yeah. For them, their understanding of being gay meant that I was going to get HIV, AIDS, and die. Oh, that was necessarily going to happen. That was inevitable. Mm. That's their understanding mm. of what being gay is, which came up after I told them, and I was like, no. I'm not going to die from from HIV. Mm. The medications are are totally fine now. They, there's no crazy side effects. I can live a normal life. In a lot of ways, I'm healthier. In many ways, I'm healthier now than I was when I was HIV negative. Yeah. Um, because I'm more conscious of my health. Not that I necessarily have to be, but I just am because yeah. it, it helps. And I think that's a very important uh, point to bring up too to our listeners. I mean, this is a radio show. Is that you just ooze good health and, and, and positivity and, and, and all that. And I, and I just want to say whatever you're doing is working. Um, uh, may you always have a baby healthy, happy, and, and this wise. Uh, but I want to turn back a little bit to the, to the play itself. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a one-man comedy show. Mm -hmm. What's a one-man? I mean, are we, you're, you're a comedy show about these very, you know, otherwise considered, well, allegedly uh, serious issues. Well, a comedy is uh, is a hard way to describe it. It's not so, you know, it's not so polarized comedy versus drama, right? There's mm -hmm. the best comedies have a little bit of a pulling of the heartstrings, right? Even even romantic comedies, all of it, they, they pull on the heartstrings. So this the show is starts out very funny, very fast paced. It's like me figuring out that I'm gay and all these little fun little anecdotes that I throw in. My mom seeing me uh, after I pluck my eyebrows for the first time and <laughs> and accusing me of of looking like a gay. And Lena's a gay. Yeah. A gay. A oh yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. For those of you gay, out there, you know, it's yeah. not you are gay, you yeah. are a gay. Yeah. Yeah. If not the gay. Sometimes. The gay. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I really am the gay. <laughs> Like the token, right? <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> See what happens when you talk about comedy. So there's, so there's that, and then as it starts to get into the wait a minute, I so here I'm happy and I'm telling my friends and everything's fine, and then the reality of having to tell my parents is what terrifies me. And as I go along, there's a couple of other little funny moments, but it starts to get more serious. And by the end, I've got the audience in tears. Yeah. I mean, is it like a monologue? I mean, it's yes. an extended monologue. It's a, it's a it, right now uh, in the present version. Version, and I'm, I'm actually working on rewriting it. Um, in the present version, it's almost 90 minutes. It's about 80. It runs about 85 minutes, and wow. it's all me. Wow. So you've written it, you act in it, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I also hear that you sort of adapt it and readapt it. It's not necessarily a fixed product. No, of course not. I mean, uh, when I first did it in 2011, there was still it was rushed, and I and even then it got best of the Hollywood Fringe. So I was like, wow. you know, yay! Um, but I wanted to clean it up. I wanted to figure out why there were moments where I felt the audience wasn't quite with me, or mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's the 
that's how any good production develops. You have to get an audience involved and see what's working and what doesn't and, and keep working on it. But the other aspect of that is that things were changing in my personal life that, you know, um, for example, the biggest example, my brother is the villain of the show. He really was was a constant antagonist throughout the piece. And the last time I performed the show in October, or sorry, November, around Thanksgiving 2012, um, as it's been on hiatus since then, he apologized for everything. Wow. I mean, really apologized. You mean after seeing the piece? He saw the first version on video. I accidentally left a DVD at home when I moved to the school that I quit. I went wow. back to oh um, to finish the program, to finish what I started. And, and my parents saw half of it. They were disgusted. They couldn't finish it. And they... Um, they they gave it to him. He didn't even know the show existed. They at least ha- knew about there was a show, something. And I tell them, I tell the audience about these things, maybe. Um, but when it became real for them, it was like, wow, they were less than pleased. But he was actually moved by the piece when he no. saw it. No, no, no. Because when you say he apologized, I kind of figured maybe it moved him in a way as to... I guess in a way it must have. I mean, he, he after seeing it, he was furious and so profoundly saddened that I would portray him the way that I did in the show. Mm. But because what he, I... He didn't necessarily see himself that way. Right. He saw... What he knows of the story is that he was supporting me the best way that he could. And he was, I didn't know that because he wasn't communicating with me. And the communications we did have were very abrupt, violent, um, not physically, but I mean, because it would be phone conversations where I would feel like if I were in the room with him, he was going to attack me or I don't know what, like. um, That's your older brother. Yeah, he's seven years older. And, And I think maybe seeing the show and I haven't gotten into the details of this with him, but maybe seeing himself through my eyes, and although he was sad and he was confrontational when I talked to him about it, when I explained to him why I chose to to portray the things the way that I did, and of course there's some elements that I change a little bit for, for, for theatricality or like I'm going to fuse these two things that didn't happen at the same time, but they make sense because it's a 90... I mean, I got to cram as much as I can in 90 minutes. Um... And once I explained all of those things, I said to him, the thing is, you've, I know what you did, and I know why you did it, but you've never once apologized for any of it, apologized for not being the brother you promised to be to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what got to him yeah. And, yeah. and propelled his, his apology. Right. I mean, a clear maybe example here of how that worked, which you may have been doing for cathartic reasons for... <laughs> you know, sort of your own journey and also to help others ended up sort of re-changing um, somebody's mind, like mm-hmm. in terms of your brother uh, in an unexpected way. I mean, from what I gather, your relationship with him is much better now. Oh, yeah. He comes now for uh, for a work trip sometimes to San Jose. He'll take a rental up to San Francisco and we spend all day eating and joking around and, nice. and drinking and it's great. I mean, we're, we're brothers again. Yeah. And really that... I haven't had that with him for over eight years no. because it went, it predated, you know, the the whole coming out thing. It was him kind of 
separating himself from the family, he's now back in and he's, he's you know, yeah. he's and, with and, us. And you keep talking about your parents who are feature, of course, in the play. Of course. And, of course, in your life. And, um, you know, m- much of what you say, I think, um, can be understood and internalized by, uh, you know, members of the LGBT community here in the United States, in the Bay Area and beyond, you know. People know what you're saying when you say my parents initially were disgusted and they, you know. But I think in your case, there's this added aspect that your parents are Iraqis. I mean, they're Iraqi Americans now, but they were born and raised and, 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 and lived their lives in, in Iraq. Mm-hmm. How does that um, aspect, how does that dimension add to the complexity of the coming out process? That, yeah, that was the most terrifying thing because I know about, you know, all I'd, all I'd known at that point was, all uh, you know, gay people don't exist in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. They're not a thing there. Right. Everyone is married and everyone is, you know, straight and which we all know is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a, a dirty underbelly uh, over there and, and, and it's sad, but... As far as them being Iraqi goes, you know, I knew from watching them and how they responded to gay people in the in the media and and whatever they couldn't even they couldn't even stand if they accidentally turned to like Graham Norton they would have to change the channel because oh another stupid homosexual blah 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 and they would change it mm-hmm. such such an aggressive like avoidance yeah and and you know after after I came out to them being able to communicate with them about about their their stance on it is that they just don't know. Yeah. They just they're completely unexposed to the idea of gay people in general or the queer or queer people anything. No. Yeah. I mean I mean but what is it exactly about being, you know, Arab American or coming from an Arab country and then coming out to your community to your parents? What is that added dimension? I mean, in addition to, you know, being repulsed and changing the the TV station if there's a a gay person there, is there an extra obstacle you have to overcome because you come from an area of the world that is so distinctly patriarchal and homophobic? Well, there's the fear of being killed. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. the that was the big one. And I mean, was that something that that passed through your mind as you were telling your parents and then telling the world through your play. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, depress you or, or in any way, uh, you know, talk about anything, you know, here that is not going to happen, inshallah. But, uh, you know, was that a consideration? Absolutely. You know, I and and the reason that my brother is the main villain of the show is his first impulse when he when I came out to him before I came out to my parents. In fact, six years before I came out to my parents, he threatened to kill me. Wow. He said, and he was, it wasn't one of those, like, in the heat of the moment. He was very calm, and he said, if you live this lifestyle, and it ever gets back to mom and dad, I don't care how long I will spend in prison, I will kill you. I mean, he was dead serious. And in his journey, he eventually, he, he had a friend who helped him, um, you know, calm down about it. She has, she has a gay brother he didn't know about until he talked to her. And, oh. and he was like, wait, what? And you're okay with gay people? And it kind of blew his mind. <laughs> nice. 
So he came back, he apologized, and he convinced me actually. So you mentioned that I went to UCR. No, I went UC there. Riverside, yeah. yeah, UC Riverside. I went there because of him. Because he he said, I, I had been accepted into Berkeley at the time, and my family couldn't afford to send me there. Um, I didn't have any scholarships there. It would have to be all financial aid, where UC Riverside offered me a full scholarship. And for an immigrant family, it's a big deal. Yeah. And I didn't want to go to Riverside because it was too close to home. I wanted to get to Berkeley because it was where gay people would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that there wasn't a gay community right. by because, any means you, in Riverside. You were in Redlands, as you said. Yeah, exactly. And I felt very alone down there. And my brother had a phone conversation with me. And he said, you know, I know why you want to go to Berkeley. You're running away from us because you're scared. Mm-hmm. You think that mom and dad will, will kill you or abandon you. If they find out, he said, but we're going to be your army. Wow. So this is after his. After his. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He, he like totally turned around. And then when I did come out, when I, when I told the, when I told my brother, my brother and my two sisters that I wanted to tell them in December of, of, or actually it was November of uh, 2008 um, was when I wanted to tell them, but my oldest sister and my brother both said, no, don't do it. Mm. Like what happened to this army? Right. (laughs) And then when I did um, eventually tell my parents, um, he was furious and he told me to go back and deny it. Oh, wow. Oh, um, take it back. Yeah, take it back. <laughs> no, tell them that it's just a thought in your head, that you haven't acted on it, that you... Gosh. And and I'm And I was baffled. Mm. I'm like, no. I, what it cost me to finally admit it to them, I'm not going to go back and say, sorry, where, where's my, you know, refund receipt? Like, that's not how it works. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're still in the middle of your journey. You're still in your 20s, young man over here. Yeah. But I mean, when you look back, even at this young age, are you glad you told them? Absolutely. The thing, and, and like I said, the show is evolving. And part of that is also their experience. In September of last year, I wasn't going to come to Thanksgiving because I, I had a, a boyfriend at the time I was living with. And... Um, actually, sadly, the day that I broke up with him, my sister sent me a text message and said that they were allowing him to come to Thanksgiving. Oh, allowing. Yeah. Well, but still, allowing is better than forbidding. I mean, yeah, and we couldn't, but we couldn't be, we couldn't sleep in the same room mm. and we couldn't make it obvious. But they were having like a Thanksgiving party with a lot of people and they thought it would be safe and, and then I, they would at least get to meet the person I was living with and... Um, of course, I broke up with them, so no- nothing came of it. <laughs> but the fact that they said yes yeah. was huge. And, and I mean, are Thanksgiving at your house sort of diverse, or are they like? Is there a lot of you know Arab Americans or Iraqi Americans at, it's at mixed. Thanksgiving? Yeah, mixed, so, yeah. So there is that presence. There's also the fact that you know Arab societies. I mean, in so many Arab countries, uh, homosexuality is illegal. It's mm-hmm. not just immoral, but it's illegal. So for them to kind of accept you within the fold is also trying to tell people to accept something that they perceive as having to be illegal. Yeah. Yeah, not just immoral. Yeah. <laughs> and yet you did it, Mesmurad. I did. I am so uh, <laughs> uh, in awe of your courage, young man. And then in, in, in terms of instead of, you know, turning it all inwards and becoming uh, depressed. And, of course, you, I mean, I'm sure you went through all that. But you decided to turn it into a creative project and the result of course blood fruit mm-hmm. uh, the play has been receiving amazing reviews mm-hmm. now when are we are going to be able to see it I know it played you said in LA yes and uh, I did it once in Portland too um, wow. yes yeah. uh, my uh, one of my old professors um, James Peck helped me organize it 
Um, and I will be bringing it back. I'm working on a revision right now um, to include some of these things. The friend that um, that passed away, I feel I need to include his passing wow. in the show because it came at a point when I was feeling very low self-esteem. I was I was feeling kind of lost, and his his passing really reignited all of the healing he had done for me and all of the support that he had given me. And I thought, you know, I can't have let our entire relationship be in vain. He, he, all, I've already dealt with this stuff. Sure. Sure. And, and so, yeah. so the new version hopefully will, will be, uh, are you going to be, you know, taking the show to the San Francisco Bay area where yes. you now reside? Yes. Right. I'm in San Francisco uh, now. It's coming here. And then hopefully from, so you're going to keep us updated about, you know, show times, dates, locations here at the Arabalji show. Absolutely. Because at, at this point, you don't have anything set for the next stage in uh, bringing display to the world. Is is any of it uh, available online or... Um, the piece? Know? No. I, I do that intentionally. So many people have asked me if I have like a, a recording of it. But the thing is, the show is so personal mm-hmm. and it is intended for a very intimate setting, which only the theater can provide. Right, right. I don't even know if I was approached like to do a movie version. I don't know if I could yeah, because yeah. it would be different. So, I mean, as somebody who has listened to you and read your work and read about you, I will say, you know, part of this is also you're teasing us here. Yeah. Because we hear about this play <laughs> that is, you know, coming from an Iraqi-American young man who has been through a lot and has uh, found the courage and the guts to speak about it so publicly. And it is there and it has played and it is time for it to play again, mm-hmm. because these are issues that are going on, as you know, in so many households, both in and outside of the Arab world. Sure. And yet nobody really speaks about them. Uh, Majd Murad, uh, you've been an amazing guest on Arabology today. Thank you. But I know <laughs> that many of our listeners here would like to perhaps send you their two cents. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way for people to contact you, to uh, network with you? Uh, are you open to uh, you know meeting other people or maybe discussing your project with other people? People? Absolutely. I mean, once I get the show on its feet, I would not mind taking it even around the world. If people want me to come do the show there, you know, you can contact me. Um, my email for the show is bloodfruitplay at gmail.com. Oh, that's easy. Bloodfruitplay. Yeah. Because bloodfruit is the name of the play. Yes. So bloodfruitplay at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can just address Majd Murad. Yep. Correct. Um, I'm the only one who receives it, so it's... uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I am so proud of you, Majd, and I am delighted to have met you and uh, interviewed you today. I hope you'll stay in touch with us here at the Arabology Show, as well as come visit the Stanford campus whenever you feel like it. I believe I shall. And, uh, you know, we we already have uh, huge fans here of your work. Thank Uh, you. (laughs) So, uh, Majd, let me say goodbye the way I started the show. بالعربي شو رأيك تحكي لنا هيك كلمة صغيرة بالعربي العراقي الحلو شو أقول شو تقول شو رأيك تشكر المستمعين اللي عم يسمعوك على الراديو how about a quick thank you to our listeners to to maybe a hello to people you care about I will end the show with your great Iraqi American accent there we go مرحبا وشكرا how's that short and sweet all right شكرا حبيبي مع السلامة مع السلامة